from Public Health Institute. Welcome to the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast, a new podcast that highlights stories from the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program, a U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention-funded program implemented by the Public Health Institute. Our fellows are guided by CDC Global Health experts and work on the front lines of global health, developing the technical and professional skills needed to make meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges. I'm your host, Whitney Hall, the Program's Administration and Communications Specialist. Today, our guest is Greg Chang, MPH. Greg is a second-year surveillance fellow for the Epidemiology and Surveillance Branch in the Division of Global HIV and Tuberculosis at CDC's Center for Global Health in Atlanta, Georgia. He assisted the International Epidemiology Team's Situational Awareness Team on CDC's Emergency Operations Center responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Greg discusses his work in HIV, COVID-19, and why global health is more important than ever. Greg, thanks for joining me today. As an undergrad, I know you studied medical anthropology and biology at Case Western Reserve University before pursuing your master's in public health. How did you first become interested in public health and what made you decide to pursue an MPH? So yeah, thanks for having me, Whitney. Um, So I guess my path to eventually studying epidemiology and public health, it's not that straightforward, um, where in high school, I, I knew I wanted to study biology at the laboratory level because I was always reading books about uh, these infectious disease doctors going out in the field and capturing wild animals, trying to identify vectors for Ebola. And I thought that was so cool and I wanted to be that guy. So pretty much I wanted to be that guy in the big yellow suit (laughs) trying to (laughs) capture viruses in the the wild. Uh, So this kind of led me to spend my four years in college working in different different, uh, biology labs and genetics labs where the first two years I was in the Cleveland Clinic um, where my lab looked at how mutations in different splicing patterns can lead to rare cases of acute myeloid leukemia. And then kind of the next two years of my college career, I started working in an infectious disease lab at Case Western, uh, where we looked at the developmental genes of a parasite that causes uh, schistosomiasis, which is a Neglected tropical disease that afflicts over 240 million people um, has huge public health implications because it's spread through fresh water and can live in its host for uh, five to 10 years in some cases. So I always loved working in the lab. I, I, I love the work and the meticulous attention and detail you had to have, but I always felt like something was missing and uh, wasn't quite sure what, what that was in college. Uh, It kind of wasn't until my my junior and senior year in college when I started volunteering as an HIV intervention specialist at the Cleveland Free Medical Clinic um, in East Cleveland. So kind of in this position, um, one of our roles was to help conduct anonymous HIV testing and uh, counseling as well, where we would do a rapid test. um, And then once the rapid tests were finished, we'd go over the results with the individual. So it was kind of through these counseling sessions where I kind of started to see the other side of disease and um, wasn't just the what the diseases were doing at the cellular level, but more on the social level in terms of its impacts on social dynamics, uh, especially with the disease so stigmatized like HIV. And it's kind of social implications between individuals and how they feel physically as well as mentally. So. I think that was the piece that was missing was this social interaction and kind kind of seeing the population that I'm serving. So 
with that in mind, I started looking for different career paths and eventually I found out about epidemiology, which was to me a good combination of the two, the two fields I was interested in with the technical side from the lab as well as the social side from what I was witnessing in the counseling sessions. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. pretty much how I came to Epi in general. Nice. Thank you. That's really interesting to hear that you have a background, you know, in a lab and then also what you're saying with the social side, kind of like social work and clinical work yeah. too. Uh, why did you decide to work in global health and what drew you to the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program? Uh, yeah, so because I really wanted to work in infectious diseases, usually the areas of the world that are more afflicted and um, are usually tropical areas. So I knew if I wanted to do uh, more impactful work, it would have to be abroad. So I just kind of rolled with that idea. And in terms of why I chose this fellowship in, in general, it was because I, I was looking at ways to get into the CDC and I saw that CDC offers this amazing global health program that you work abroad, you even live abroad in some cases, and then you also work with the CDC office. So I thought that was really awesome. But I think the thing that kind of set it over the edge for me was when I was living in Cameroon um, in graduate school, I met one of the PHI fellows there, uh, Rachel McCullough-Sandon. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I actually met her in person because we were working on the same project, but she was working from the CDC side. And just seeing how she was interacting with the in-country ministries of health and the in-country CDC and implementing partner offices, um, I could really tell that this fellowship um, really developed its fellows and they function pretty autonomously from their mentors. So they're given a lot of responsibilities and I just thought this was the right fit for me and I decided to apply. Great, thanks. Uh, for listeners who don't have a background in public health, since you're a surveillance fellow for the epidemiology and surveillance branch, can you talk a little more about what surveillance is and how that differs from epi? And I'm also curious to hear you share how your research impacts the populations you're specifically addressing. Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so epidemiology is kind of the much larger field of studying trends in disease among the population. And one of the ways that you need to identify trends in the population is by undergoing different surveillance activities, which is kind of the ongoing collection analysis and ultimately the interpretation of the public health data um, or public health action. So I guess in order to really understand how my research impacts populations that I'm working with, um, it's good to know kind of the background and the team that I, I work on. So the, the team that I work on, um, we work on population-based HIV impact assessments, which are nationally representative household-based surveys, uh, whose primary objectives are to estimate the burden of HIV in the country, as well as to measure its progress towards um, HIV elimination or epidemic control. So the, these are very large surveys that have two parts, um, first of which is an interview component where the interviewers gather demographic, socio-demographic information, as well as um, behavioral information pertaining to HIV. And the the second component is a more serological component where uh, the survey tests the individual in home for HIV, and if the participant consents, um, further lab testing is done on their blood 
to um, test for different HIV indicators. So these, these surveys are a huge lift, and uh, depending on the country, on average, it's usually 25 to 30,000 people per country uh, that are tested. And with the exception of Nigeria, which is so large, it had uh, about over 100,000 people that were tested for HIV in the survey alone. Wow. Yeah, they're pretty huge projects. And uh, so another part of it is now that the data is collected and cleaned, we analyze the data to try to help uh, potential, help identify potential risk factors uh, for various outcomes of interest. And I suppose an example of something that I've been currently working on that answers your question is that um, I've been working with the Kenyan Ministry of Health on evaluating the current state of Kenya's prevention of mother-to-child transmission programming which is a critical prevent, uh, preventative measure to prevent new HIV infections from pregnant HIV positive mothers to their child. So um, being an analyst, I know how to work with the data, but it's really the in-country team that knows the epidemic and knows which indicators to really look at um, to help their country out. So while I can analyze the data, it's, that's only half of it. You really need to know the needs and the wants of each specific country because while some analyses may be beneficial for some countries, the epidemic may be different in other countries. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's really interesting. I mean, that definitely sounds like it relates to your study in medical anthropology as well, kind of thinking about the different factors you have to take into account. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, as a data person, how much of your work is collaborative and how much of it is individual? Uh. Kind of like I mentioned earlier, I don't think any of my work is truly individual uh, because of the collaborative nature of um, not only working with the in-country teams, but uh, even on the analysis, you have to have the help of the in-country staff to know where to be looking, what to be looking for. So I guess not much of it is really individual other than me actually conducting an analysis on my own. Then again, once I connect the the analysis, it's oftentimes reviewed by the country and modified heavily uh, to fit their needs. Well, I know you shared quite a bit of uh, your experience working in HIV and AIDS prior to the fellowship. Can you talk a little bit more about your work related to HIV, uh, the main areas of focus of your fellowship prior to your recent work on COVID-19? Yeah, yeah, of course. So before the fellowship, um, when I was in graduate school at Columbia University, I was working on the FIAs, but I was at the implementing partner level uh, through ICAP, who's the, who's the partner that implements the FIAs. Um, because I was in the epidemiology and global health certificate track, I was actually able to spend six months abroad working on the FIAs. And the project they put me on was in Cameroon. So Cameroon's a small, or it's not small, but it's a country in West Africa uh, so I lived there for six months supporting the information communication technology team, as well as the linkage to care team. So as, as part of the, the technology team, I was helping program all the tablets, um, going out into field if teams were having issues or bugs with their tablets to help resolve those issues. And near the end of the survey, I was also helping out a lot with the data cleaning um, to get the data ready for analysis and publication. And kind of the secondary role where I spent most of my time was on the linkage to care process. So in addition to the participant knowing their HIV status, um, 
one of the results they also get later down the line is their viral load results. So the viral load results is really important for individuals because it gives them and their, and their health provider an idea of how sick they are in terms of how advanced HIV is progressing in their body or if they're on HIV treatment, if their medication's working or if there's issues with um, their adherence in the individual. So it's really important for the individuals to actually get their viral load results back. So I was helping on, a te- helping on the team to logistically plan how to send these 20 to 25,000 viral load results to different health facilities all around the country that the participant chose. Just, it's pretty easy um, when you're working in capital cities, but as you become more and more rural, it becomes more and more challenging to deliver those, those results. But it was a great experience. Wow, yeah, that sounds like a pretty incredible learning experience. As a fellow working on population HIV impact assessments, it seemed like before the pandemic, you were traveling overseas pretty constantly, especially to African countries. I think you were actually one of the fellows traveling the most. Uh, Are there any highlights or lessons learned from those trips that stand out the most to you? Uh, Yeah, so I guess before COVID started, I was traveling on average maybe every other month for two or three weeks at a time. So I went on multiple different TDYs, and all of them were different, all of them were great. But kind of the one that sticks out the most to me was my most recent one in January, where my mentor and I visited four different countries in three weeks. We visited Mozambique, Zambia, Uganda, and then East Watini. So we were constantly into Johannesburg Airport, maybe like six or seven times. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, um, for this kind of three-week workshop, we were um, hosting what we call the field deployment planning workshop. It was to figure out a way how to more efficiently gather FIA data faster and cheaper in the second round. We were also on a tighter deadline because most of these countries wanted data out by this uh, December World AIDS Day, um, World, World AIDS Day, so they could showcase where they were in terms of the HIV epidemic control. So, um, of what we were doing there. We, we brought models to each countries uh, that we generated beforehand to kind of help determine um, how to better, more, more efficiently gather data. So this involved using geospatial software like AccessMod and GIS or GIS, QGIS, um, where we would actually estimate the distance and the time of travel from the households to different satellite labs um, all around the country so we could actually predict how many teams need to be deployed in what areas and um, how many satellite labs needed to be set up in order for the data to be collected the fastest and in the least in the most cost efficient way. Um, so these models all took into account road types and as well as different terrain factors. But uh, it was so it's kind of like a perfect example of of global health using public knowledge um, because. We bring these models into the country teams, which included Ministry of Health workers, demographers, and our employing partners, and ask them team by team, route by route, does this make sense? And they would use their kind of in-country knowledge and, and say, this, no, this wouldn't work out. This road in particular is actually unusable this time of year. It's flooded, or you have to go to this area of the country first because there's heavy migration around this time of year if you want to capture them. So, 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, it was very, very often times we came in with a model, but after working with a country team that knew the country more, um, it was heavily adjusted. So it was, it was just a great experience in collaborating uh, all for the same goal with multiple different partners, multiple different stakeholders on these surveys. Uh, let's talk about your work now for CDC's Emergency Operations Center responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, what was your assignment and team within the EOC and what kind of tasks were you working on? So yeah, um, the team I was working on, uh, it was a sub-team of the epidemiology team uh, called the Situational Awareness Team, which is a part of the International Task Force. Sorry, there's like just so many teams and some teams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's hard so, to keep them all straight. <laughs> so yeah, I was on the International Task Force working on the Situational Awareness Team. Uh, but before I joined, this this team was primarily responsible for monitoring uh, up-and-coming COVID epidemics in different countries. So they would track country by country if there was COVID-positive individuals in that country. And if there were they would provide daily situational reports to, to the, the task force leadership so they can get a better idea of how fast and how rapidly the, the pandemic is spreading. By the time I joined in late March, the pandemic and COVID was almost everywhere. So our roles and responsibilities began to change. So it then shifted from more of a global scope into a more narrow scope of uh, different high-priority countries that the leadership identified. So what we would do is we would um, look at country data and make this line list or database of all their COVID patients, um, writing down any demographic factors that were available, their symptoms, date of onset, or any just relevant information um, related to COVID. And from there, this data was used by the modeling team and the visualization teams to to develop trends and visualize trends in the disease abroad. It was kind of like our hope that we could use this data to help inform the domestic response because other countries were further along the, the pandemic than we were. Mm -hmm. So that, that was kind of my initial role and then their initial role on the, on the team. But kind of the secondary role that we started working on was um, we began looking at countries that had no reported cases of COVID as of April 1st. And we were scouring public domains and government websites and government documents to kind of pull together and characterize what these countries were doing in terms of mitigation measures to that maybe led them to not have any COVID cases in their country. So we created this pretty, pretty holistic uh, characterization of these countries. And uh, one of the authors, one of the people on my team wrote it up in MWR and I think they're waiting for clearance. So that was pretty cool just to really look at what other countries are doing and see how this could potentially be used in the future um, to slow down the spread of a disease. For sure. That sounds interesting. Just like the comparison of looking at countries that are high priority and then countries with low incidence rates. Since your data analysis involved high-priority countries, how does CDC decide if a country is high-priority? So I wasn't necessarily there when they made the decision. This was I joined later in the, in the response. So from what I understand, it was uh, countries that were bordering U.S., like Canada and Mexico, but also countries that had a high travel rate to the United States, like Johannesburg or Japan. Um, 
another layer of that was countries that had relatively good public available data. So those were kind of the factors that were used to determine high priority. How did your COVID-19 detail experience compare to the other work you have done in the fellowship? It sounds pretty different. Yeah, it's actually very, almost drastically different because uh, my previous work on the FIAs, these are these these types of surveys, these HIV in- impacts assessments have been around for a while. And they're very well-structured and well-oiled um, machines where there's very specific guidelines on how to capture accurate and precise data and different uh, sample designs, how to determine sample size. Everything was there and all the instructions and all the the skeleton of the survey was there. So if there were ever any issues, you could always fall back on what has been done in the past and how they handled certain issues. So everything was just, I I don't want to say easy, but there was a manageable solution for all the problems that would occur in the FIA. Whereas uh, COVID-19, it was pretty much uncharted territory and decisions have to be made on the fly, um, given available data. And oftentimes these decisions would have to be relatively innovative because we have nothing else to really compare to. Um, So this kind of resulted in fast decision making, tight deadlines, and kind of just developing more innovative ways to look at the data and even defining indicators of success or indicators of how fast um, or how slow the COVID, the COVID virus was spreading in a certain area. So I guess going off of that, what do you think are the, a few of the biggest lessons you've taken away so far, either in public health outbreak response from your work on COVID or um, your work in surveillance uh, with FIA? Uh, so I guess it's not necessarily a lesson learned, it's just kind of a, a reinforcement from seeing what's been going on in the COVID response and the pandemic in general that really exemplifies how crucial global health security and health capacity building not only in the United States is, but also to uh, develop health capacity all around the world. Because nowadays it's so easy to get from one continent to continent, it's also much quicker and cheaper to do so. So once Outbreaks even in remote parts of the world happen, uh, they can spread very fast. So it's just kind of a reaffirmation of to why it's so important that we continue to focus on global health and continue to work in global health and health capacity building uh, all around the world. Yes, definitely. Uh, How has your current work been affected by COVID-19 with FIA? Has this outbreak influenced at all what you want to do long-term with your career uh, in terms of your goals for the final year of your fellowship and after? Uh, I guess in terms of my current work, um, because because COVID has been found in most of the FIA countries we've been working in currently, most of those countries are under lockdown, so all the surveys have stopped. This has kind of shifted uh, my workload from helping implement these surveys to more of a data analysis role where uh, the principal investigators now have some time on their hands to finish up writing manuscripts or start new analyses. So um, they've, some of them have reached out to me to help with analyzing the FIA data and to kind of identify different risk factors um, for whatever study they're working on. Uh, I guess for your second question, uh, in terms of how COVID has influenced my career goals, 
uh, I don't think it really has changed anything. If anything, it just reinforced my goals and aspirations to continue working global health because um, most likely COVID is not an isolated incident. It's going to continue to happen. And in order to prevent these things from getting out of hand, global health and health capacity needs to be built up all around the world. And I think uh, this fellowship and working with a lot of different CDC colleagues has shown me that. And it's kind of the continued need to build up the next generation of public health workers, um, as well as global health workers. Yes, that's very true. Uh, Great. Well, something I asked Riley on our first episode was if listeners are curious to follow in your footsteps at some point, either, you know, they're in school for public health or thinking about changing careers and are interested in the fellowship or working at CDC. Do you have any advice to those listeners in terms of what has helped you enter this field and succeed? Yeah, I guess just one piece of advice that I would have um, based on personal experience is that no matter your background as an undergraduate, everyone has something to offer the field of public health. And sometimes the, the more diverse your background, the better because uh, it gives you a fresh outlook on issues all around the world. Uh, for example, you know, my, my college career is mostly spent on working in a lab, but using that lab data has actually been helpful for me when I'm running an ap- different analyses on laboratory data and really understanding what those lab test results mean. Perhaps a better example um, of how a diverse background can really help you is an epidemiologist on my team uh, used to be an archaeological anthropologist and doing digs in Kenya and in remote caves looking for, uh, I think, early the uh, Homo sapien remains. So she was working as an archaeologist in Kenya, and uh, it's through that experience and learning all about Kenyan culture and everything, and which made her a great PI for the Kenya FIA. So just because she started off in a field that was not really related to epidemiology, ended up making becoming a strength in in her choice of career. Wow! Yeah, that would be a good good memoir to read yeah. <laughs> about her life. <laughs> Megan Bronson, look her up. You know? <laughs> nice, cool. <laughs> Uh, Well, great. If listeners want to learn more about epidemiology or surveillance uh, or HIV, what resources do you recommend? uh, Another resource that I would recommend, other than all those great resources that Riley mentioned, was or would be the CDC's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report, or MMWR. So what the MMWR is, it's pretty much CDC's own scientific publication portal, where it releases... uh, different research studies published through the CDC on a weekly basis. So it's a great source of information right now because it's been packed with COVID-related research, whether it's long-term healthcare facilities or uh, different results of different antibody tests, things like that. But normally it publishes all, all sorts of data in terms of communicable or non-communicable diseases. So if you're interested in, in reading up-to-date publications that are published quickly and almost real-time, then this will be a great avenue for you. Great. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time today, Greg, and sharing your experience with our listeners. And thanks for all that you do. Yeah, thanks so much, Wendy. 
Thank you to our guest, Greg Chang, and all of you for tuning in to our second episode of the PHI CDC Global Health Podcast. This podcast is a project of the PHI CDC Global Health Fellowship Program, which is implemented by the Public Health Institute and its partner consortium of universities for global health for the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Please join us next time as we share more fellowship stories. To learn more about our program and see how we are making meaningful contributions to today's global health challenges, visit our website at phi-cdcfellows.org. For questions, please email us at info at phi-cdcfellows.org. This podcast is produced by Whitney Hall. Thank you to Mike Sage, Christine Carbio, Jasdeep Dulay, Natasha Alcas, Rora Michael, Christine Jolly, CDC Center for Global Health, PHI, and CUGH.